Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. You are listening to the Trek Ranks Podcast, a member of the Tricorder Transmissions Podcast Network. This is episode 70, featuring the top five scenes in a cave. Welcome, Star Trek fans. I am Jim Morehouse, and I am the host of the Trek Ranks Podcast. And tonight, we are returning to our Scenes in Trek series, which is my favorite series that we do here on Trek Ranks. Tonight is our sixth different version of Scenes in Trek. And previously we've done, I'm going to rattle them off here. We've done Turbo Lift, Jeffrey's Tube, Shuttlecraft, Scenes in a Brig, and our most recent was Scenes on Location. And this one is kind of a companion piece to Scenes on Location because tonight we're doing our top five scenes in a cave. And as you can imagine, if you start thinking about this for a minute... There are a ton of scenes in caves through the years of Star Trek. It is a classic Trek trope. So we have a lot to choose from tonight. So I'm excited about this one and joining us for tonight's show. First up, frequent guest and contributor here at Trek Ranks and the host of Weekly Trek here at the Tricorder Transmissions is Sir Alexander Perry. Great to have you back, Alex. Hello, Mr. Morehouse. Thank you for having me back. I, I am glad to have you back. I forgot you were on Scenes on Location. So That's right. I'm three for six in the Scenes on series. Okay, that's good. That's good. We have to have a little continuity there. And our other guest tonight is Debbie Moltisanti. She has been on before. She was on our top five road trips, right, Debbie? Uh, that's exactly right, Jim. And I'm really excited to be back. Yeah. And especially scenes. I love the, the top five scenes. It's yeah. one of my favorites, too. I uh, I love it, too. And by the way, I've we have a long, lot more scenes in that we're going to do. And I just thought of one the other day that I love. It is so good. Spoiler alert. It's scenes on Earth. How good is that? Yeah, <gasps> that one's going to awesome. be good. And by the way, we're doing that after the Picard season because there will probably be, be more cool. scenes on Earth. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> So we'll do that one in like nine months. All right. That'll be like episode 93. We'll see. Okay. We'll see. We're going to make that temporal causality loop. We're going to make it episode 93. Scenes on Earth. All right. I'm going to shut up now and get into our Trek Ranks recalibration. What are you recalibrating? Everything. Um, it's, it's a sweeping, uh, a recalibration of all systems. Which is not me shutting up at all. It's me recalibrating. Okay, first up, as regular listeners will know by now, general order number one here at the Trek Ranks podcast is that we love Trek. We love to rank Trek via some deep dive topics just to get the conversation started. Because my favorite thing to do is to talk about Star Trek. And as our good friend, the Vulcan Master and young angry Tuvok, like to remind us each week, from a scene in a cave, <laughs> the main driver for all of our discussion here at the Trek Ranks podcast is... Infinite diversity. In infinite combinations. No wrong answers. It's not about being right or definitive in any way. It's about sharing the things that we love about Star Trek. So we love it all from TOS to TNG, straight through to Enterprise and the Kelvin timeline and now Discovery and Short Treks as well and soon to be Picard. It's all fair game here on the Trek Ranks podcast. Black alert. Black alert. 
And a reminder that this episode of Trek Ranks is current through Discovery Season 2 and the latest short treks, The Trouble with Edward. So we're now six, uh, six episodes of short treks so far. So potential spoilers for all those uh, 700 plus hours of Trek are in play here tonight. And one final reminder that we use episodes as shorthand, but the 13 films are always in play as well. Hailing frequencies are open. And you can find Trek Ranks on the net access interface links at trekranks.com. And you can contact me directly at Trek Ranks or at Enterprise Extra. And you can also call and leave us a message with your own picks at 609-512-LLAP. That's 609-512-5527. That's exactly how we found out Debbie would be such an awesome guest because she left us a voicemail. Okay, so to wrap it up, Alex and Debbie, let everybody know how they can get a hold of you guys on the net access interface. Uh, Alex. You can find me on Twitter at Alexander T. Perry, and you can also find my show, Weekly Trek, which is a 30-minute news show every week on the Star Trek News of the Day at Weekly Trek. And you can find me on Twitter at SilverDoe25. Talking a lot of Trek. Okay, this week we are skipping our diagnostic cycle and we're jumping straight into our prime directive to find out how everyone came up with their list of caves. I do not concur with your captain's decision. She's following our prime directive. Define prime directive. Okay, Alex and Debbie, how did you guys come up with your list and narrow down your picks? Because there was a ton to choose from. So, uh, Alex, tell us about your prime directive. Mine was pretty simple. I decided that I was uh, going to hold myself to one pick from each series. Mm. So it'll be it'll be picks from five different series. And I would be lying if I said that my excitement for the upcoming Star Trek Picard has not managed to leech its way into my picks, which you'll find when we get there. Okay. That's, I like that teaser. And Debbie, how about you? Um, my only thing, I maybe I kind of loosely defined cave. Um, I just, if I saw rocks on walls, it was a cave. <laughs> so okay. some of mine might have been like actual underground, but I, when I kind of thought about them, you had to enter through some type of cave entrance. But other than that, I, my biggest trouble was airing my list down to five because there were so many. It sounds like a cave to me, what you described. I, yeah. uh, it rocks on the wall is some sort of cave for sure. Uh, and there's plenty of those too. I actually, yeah, I did. I started with the brainstorming session just to come up with a list and then realized, okay, I need to find some kind of qualifier to just kind of eliminate this list. So it's just like so a break it down in my head a little bit. So I decided I actually have a, more qualifiers than I norm, normally do. I I made sure every pick was an actual actual cave, so not like a holographic cave or something like the Vidians were manipulating the walls in uh, in the phage. So I kind of so I tried to eliminate because there's actually quite a few holographic caves, and then similar to that, I wanted I wanted the real cave to be an actual cave. So I guess that's maybe a little different than you. Debbie, I, I tried to eliminate the ones where it looked like it maybe was more of a, an, I don't know, 
<laughs> yes. I just like, want, like I'm looking for like the bat cave, right? <laughs> like it was originally a cave, but right. maybe it's been yeah. had some oh, I know what I did. technology it, applied. What I did is I tried to eliminate things like like catacombs or a sanctuary or something like that that might have been a little bit different, even though it's obviously underground. So and then my last thing was I tried to just come up with all my picks to have a specific reason for being in the cave. So it was a key part of the story or, or plot for the episode. So I think that fits most of my, my picks. Anyway, we're going to talk about caves here, people, and this is going to be awesome. I've got a ton of secondary systems. I know Debbie does too. Alex may have controlled himself a little bit better, but we'll, we'll find out after our picks with third Demoticon taking us into the order of things. I am a Jem'Hadar. He is a Vorta. It is the order of things. Thank you, Third Demoticon. And as always, a quick reminder on how we're going to go through the order of things. First, each of us will reveal our five-word summary and a hashtag to tease our pick. Then we'll unveil our top five scene in a cave and the specific episode that we're, we're highlighting for that. And we'll talk about why that... Uh, Pick made made our list, and then at the end we'll go through these secondary system selections, a bunch more caves, and as always, if we have any duplicates, which will there, there could be tonight. There's some big big cave scenes that might pop up on a couple lists. Make sure you listen for the defiant torpedoes. Okay, Alex, let's kick this off with you. What's your number five pick for top five scenes in a cave? Okay, five-word summary, thanks for the tour, hashtag Shran was right. My pick is Star Trek Enterprise Season 1, Episode 6, The Andorian Incident, and the very final scene of the episode where it's revealed that the Vulcans did have a listening post under the monastery at Pajem all along. I love it. This is a great scene that totally turns the episode on its head. You know, it was, they very carefully constructed this episode to show you that the Andorians were villains, that the Vulcans were innocent, and you get to the end of the episode and they totally pull the rug out from under you. It's, it's, it kind of very, in a very interesting way, sort of sets up the Vulcan storyline that would go through the entirety of Enterprise, this sort of why are they kind of jerks, you know, which you saw a little bit start to come through in Broken Bow, but this was the first one where it really kind of hit you, you know, right across the mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is also the start of the relationship between Archer and Shran. That, this moment in this cave, in this listening post that's, um, uh, that's underneath the monastery is the start, really, of that relationship of trust between them that ultimately goes on to to bear such great fruit. And I think, lastly, you know, demonstrates the importance of ultimately the role of of humanity in balancing these two quite different species, the Vulcans and the Andorians, who by themselves get into a lot of trouble, but with that kind of mixing element, you know, find a way ultimately to accrue the best things about them towards being part of the Federation. Well, I love this pick because I definitely thought of it, but then I eliminated it because it was, I felt like it was a catacomb. So I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to call that a catacomb. So I don't have to, I don't have to pick it, but I'm fired up. You picked it because it's totally a cave. It's obviously, it's like the key, especially the, I love that moment where they, they're walking through the, 
all the dead or all the monuments. And he's like, what's down this uh, path? Oh, there's nothing down there. You don't need to go. There. <laughs> so that's a cave. And there's lots of secrets down there. Uh, Debbie, what's your take on the Andorian incident? Awesome. Out, yes. Outstanding episode. And just exactly what Alex said, the whole twist at the end. And it's just, you know, you went all through TOS with, you know, Vulcans are like everybody's hero and they didn't turn out this way in enterprise. And this was a really, really excellent episode. Yeah. I think we, we think we talked about it in the Tapol episode too, when, when she, uh, hands over the, the scanning device. Love that pick. Love that episode. It's number six at Trek ranks enterprise. Uh, okay, Debbie, how about you? What's your number five pick? Okay. Um, five words. Welcome to discovery Lieutenant Spock. And my hashtag is logical banter. This is um, discovery season two, episode eight. If memory serves. Ooh, um, that is such a cool <laughs> pick. <laughs> I, I consider Talos for a lot of caves, especially if you go back to the cage, there was uh -huh. kind of like that, the entryway there that they had enhanced with their doors and everything. But I just love this scene because even though Spock was kind of alluded to kind of all through the season a little bit, this is where he really came out of, you know, being kind of semi comatose and everything. And his, exchange with um burnham there with the can we have a better version of this conversation and do you have anything like it just it was a great way to put those two together uh, and i just loved it i really thought ethan peck was a fantastic version of spock and this was a great intro to him actually being a speaking character and you think the beard's working for you oh i love the i love i love it uh, Alex, what's your take on this inspired, inspired pick? Oh, Debbie, I'm so glad you picked this because this was my <laughs> hardest cut. Oh, um, so cool. it made it, uh, until, you know, half an hour before the episode, before we started recording, uh, fabulous choice. Um, you know, uh, if memory serves is my favorite episode of Star Trek discovery to date. And that scene, you know, and it sort of falls in the kind of, you know, third of the way through the episode is really when it starts to kick up into high gear because you get, you know, you get Spock, right? Up until that point, Spock has either been talked about or he's been a gibbering wreck as he was uh, in the <laughs> exactly. episode before. This is the first time we see Ethan Peck playing Spock as Spock and not playing Spock as, you know, someone disassociated from his personality and uh and and not functioning properly and it just it immediately works so well the relationship between burnham and spark is established really quickly i mean you've gotten a lot of context on it up until that point but this is the first moment where you watch it and you go actually you know what these two don't really like each other you know this is not just them kind of hyping it up like this really is a problem yeah um and the way that whole scene plays out ultimately you know, with them sort of exploring that, you know, that history between them. And, and, and it's just, uh, it's just fabulous. It's a great pick. Yeah. I, I love this pick. I have like 40, 50 picks on my, on my list <laughs> and I somehow did not think of Talos four. And I love, that's what we love about Trek ranks because it's like the most, I mean, it's such a classic cave and I have so many TOS caves picks. So uh, I love this episode. I love Talos 4. I love the cage. I love that this is now 
part of the cage and the menagerie and this whole storytelling. It's just amazing. It's such a great pick. I'm so fired up. Uh, okay. And I'm fired up about my pick too, because we're going to have a little bit of an interesting, we've never had a first round representing these three uh, entities of tr- incarnations of Trek. And so far we've had enterprise and discovery. And now we're going to have, the Kelvin timeline, five words and a hashtag captain Kirk meets Mr. Spock hashtag prime Spock. And it is star Trek 2009, the Kelvin uh, timeline, JJ Abrams film. And I love this scene. First of all, I love that we get to see Kirk meet Spock twice in this movie. It's one of my kind of favorite things about it. It's first time I've ever seen that in, 50 years of Trek, and here we have it twice in this 2009 film. The first time, of course, is the Kobayashi Maru hearing, which is hilarious and great. But the second meeting of Kirk and Spock is just a really great emotional scene that gets me every time when when uh, Kirk's uh, Pine, Chris Pine, as Kirk is running for his life into the cold cave, and out of nowhere comes Spock with his with his torch and chases away the, the big bad. And then they meet and they have this great exchange and they might, they have a mind meld and the, it's really kind of the, the setup for the entire Kelvin timeline that Kirk mind melds with prime Spock and now understands a little bit of the, the history between the two of them and, and the destiny that, uh, that his, him, he and his Spock are going to have. It's just really beautiful, I love Pine and Nimoy together, and I love this scene and the importance of it. So, Alex, what's your take on Trek 2009? My take is that we may be talking about this again a little Ooh, later. We might have a pew, pew, pew. Uh, how about you, Debbie? Any any thoughts on this one? Uh, yeah, we could be discussing this in a bit. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We might have a triplicate. I love it. That is a rarity on Trek ranks, but uh, but recent in the last few episodes. Okay, let's go to round four. Alex, what's your number four pick? All right, I'm going to bust your prime directive again. So here goes. <laughs> I love it. That's so great. Five words. Balana grapples with great trauma. Hashtag, you have a new family now. My pick is Star Trek Voyager, Season 5, Episode 3, Extreme Risk, mm-hmm. and the scene in which Dakota confronts Balana about her holodeck program in which she's recreated the Dominion Massacre of their Marquis friends and colleagues. Oh my god, so this is a fantastic place. Such an emotional scene. Such an emotional scene. It's a really great exploration of... You know, these characters who have suffered this immense trauma, but are totally disassociated from it. And they each, because they're, you know, 60,000 light years away or however far away they are by that point. Um, and, but yet still encountering the same aliens. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a, it's a really good, you know, deep exploration of, of, of the different ways that they cope with it. And Balana clearly is, you know, not coping with it very well. The whole episode is about how, and this is really the scene in which she explains her behavior of having taken these sort of daredevil risks and continuing to sort of push herself harder and harder and harder is because she's so disassociated from the grief that she's experiencing that she's worried she's not experiencing emotions at all. And so, you know, she just keeps doing these things because it's the only way that she kind of knows how to feel. 
it's a really great moment for Chakotay and Balana, two characters who, you know, have all this history together, but actually don't share a huge amount of character time with each other throughout the course of the series. So it's really nice when they do get the opportunity to do it. It's always really nice when we get to see the Marquis crew members, you know, be Marquis Starfleet crew members. And also, it's really nice the way that, you know, this sort of ties into the wider continuity of the show, right? In Deep Space Nine, the Marquis had, you know, been destroyed shortly beforehand. And now the consequences of that are playing out in Voyager. And, you know, it's just one of those kind of really cool things about Star Trek that, that there are a few other franchises that you can say that about. It's interesting that you say that about the two of them maybe not being together in a lot of scenes. I never really thought about it that way. It may or I guess that's fairly true, but but when they are together, it always feels like they're really close and they know each other and they've been together. They the the way they play that is always really strong. It always comes through like they've they've known each other forever, been fighting. Yeah, side definitely. By side. Totally. It definitely, you know, that is certainly the way the relationship comes across anytime you see it. It would have been nice to have seen it evolve and get fleshed out a little more, but every moment that we do get of that relationship is pure gold. Yeah, and and this scene is super, super. It's heavy. I mean, it's it's uh, it's heavy for sure, but it's really, really emotional and impactful. I love this pick. It's a massive deep cut. Uh, Debbie, what's your take on Extreme Risk? Yeah, I mean, Bolana was outstanding. I just always key into that. I'm not trying to kill myself. I'm trying to see if I'm still alive. Yeah. Like that, it just is, it's just an emotionally powerful episode all around. And definitely in this scene, without a doubt. I just, Alex, yeah. Alex, you always give such complete <laughs> and thorough explanations of like anything I was going to say, he probably already said. <laughs> He's he's too scholarly for Terry. He's Trek right he's now. very. I'm <laughs> meeting. Right. I'm not gonna meet my match here. <laughs> uh, let's do it, Debbie. What's your number four pick? Uh, number four, five words. Spock Prime in the house. Hashtag yes. um, our minds one and together, and it is that same cave scene in Star Trek 2009. So cool. I'm a lifelong Spock fan, and to see him appear in that film was just fantastic then how everything kind of, you know, the mind meld and, and Kirk not believing, like, I don't, how do I know? I don't know you. Like, how do you know my name and all of that? And then the other thing that I find really strange about this scene um, came up actually in Discovery. When, when Spock appears with that torch, he's wearing that like white snowsuit with the Love thing that. over his yeah. face. And when in, in, discovery in the scene where the ethan peck spock was um mind melding with the red angel and seeing the future he had that same white snowsuit hood on and i remember like i thought what what is is this like i remember seeing that and thought for a split second like are they bringing like the spock prime thing back in it was really weird because it was the same white hood I love that design on that jacket. It's so cool the way that uh, hood pops up. And I, I remember noticing that with uh, in Spock. When he was doing that in the very future. Very similar. Yeah, very yes, similar. Yes, very similar. He's got the same outfit. Which I just think is a great little piece of continuity for them. Uh, Alex, I'm not going to ask you what you think of this pick. <laughs> yeah, it's probably Cause smart. Because it's, it's awesome. All right, I will go to my round four pick and my five words in a hashtag. 
I love this pick. Jamaharone in a cave? Yep. Hashtag, you are outrageous. And it is Captain's Holiday, Season 3, <laughs> Episode 19 from TNG. Captain Jean-Luc Picard bangs Vosh in a cave. <laughs> that is what happened, people. I love, we are Team Vosh here on uh, Trek Ranks. Vosh makes Picard happy. And if you can't see that in this awesome scene, this awesome moment, how happy he is to be challenged by this beautiful, strong, independent, challenging woman. Oh my gosh, it's the best. I love this moment. You guys know what I'm talking about. The episode is one of my favorites. I don't know why it doesn't get as much uh, love as it does. Taksu Tat, Vorgons, Max Gredenchik as uh, Sovak. And I just, uh, yeah, I love this. I love this episode and I love that scene. And I love that uh, Picard and Vosh were an item when he was on vacation looking to relax. You know, Jean-Luc, it's lucky for you we met wasn't for me you'd still be back there sitting in the sun relaxing that happens to be why i came to risa i'm sure you hated every minute of it that kind of vacation isn't for a man like you you need excitement excitement spending the night in the damn cave chasing after something we should probably never find you're enjoying yourself aren't you yes I just wanted to hear you say it. Good. Now, let's get some sleep. I'll never forget that look on your face when you thought I was offering you Jamaharon. Now, that was a simple misunderstanding. You did seem a little disappointed when I turned you down. <laughs> you are outrageous thank you uh debbie what's your take on vosh <laughs> and uh captain's holiday and john luke picard in a cave uh jim you are team vosh enough for both of us <laughs> <laughs> that's fair yes <laughs> that's gonna be my remark I'm, i love I'm, it no it's perfect that's perfect and are you uh, are you team Darren, Debbie? I don't know if we ever talked about that. Um, are you just are you team Crusher? I I don't I don't know. I'm I, I don't feel like I'm team Vosh, and it's not about. I just I don't care for Vosh. Oh my goodness! I just so some of his others like uh, last week you were talking about the perfect mate and stuff. I love yeah. that. Oh and, yeah, Kamala too. And I'm I team, do. I'm team everybody for Picard. I know, and and Crusher too. So love it. Uh, all right, Alex, how about you on this scene? This is an outrageous pick. <laughs> <laughs> if you are not Team Vash, um, which I'm, I would describe myself as Team Crusher. But I mean, as a backup, I'm. I would say you know Team Vash all the way. And this is a fun scene in a really fun episode. And you're right. I mean, the whole episode is comedy gold and yeah. surprising how when folks talk about season three captain's holiday is not ranked higher so to speak yeah it gets kind of dismissed I, I i love i love this episode all right let's move to the soup round alex what's your number three pick okay. for scenes in a cave we're staying deep on this one 
in terms of deep scene. Five word summary. I hated everything about them. Hashtag Ducat laid bare. This is Star Trek Deep Space Nine season six, episode 11, Waltz. And the scene, the, the scene is basically three quarters of the way through the mm-hmm. episode where Cisco and Ducat have their, their verbal, honest confrontation. This is after Ducat beat Cisco with the pipe iron. Um, and basically, you know, tears off the the cast that's on his arm. Uh, this is a, a an amazingly fabulous scene uh, in which you really get a your kind of best look into the mind of Gul Dukat himself. I mean, you know, the show shows you what Dukat wants you to see over the first six seasons. And this is really the first moment where, in addition to him sort of having gone, you know, quite insane, uh, you really do get that kind of best view into his own opinion of himself, what's motivating him and what's driving him. Uh, And it's a really honest confrontation between the two characters without any pretense in a way that, you know, I don't think we've really seen that prior to that point. I mean, there've been lots of Ducat Cisco scenes, but they've always been loaded with, with that sort of pretense to it, you know, where they're both sort of talking to each other, but they're not really saying what they mean. This is the first kind of scene between these two characters where you get this really honest confrontation. And the whole, the whole arc of the scene begins with you know, it sort of takes you through the arc of Ducat as a character throughout the whole show. You start the scene with him rationalizing his actions and making it seem like he's actually the hero. And, you know, and I, I you know, I tried to help people. And then by the end of the scene, he's gone a full 180 and he is, you know, I hated them. I would have killed everyone if I could have, you know, um, it's just, it, it is such a powerful, powerful scene. It, uh, the most powerful scene in an extremely powerful episode. There was no way this wasn't going to be on my list. Well, I mean, that's a great summary. And this, I think this one I was going to say for when we do episodes in a cave, because it's the entire yeah, right. uh-huh. in the cave. I love, I mean, this episode, I, this is definitely on my secondary systems as a pick. There's so many great moments. Uh, throughout it any uh, any take on your end for waltz debbie uh we'll be probably discussing it again oh wow another <laughs> one i love that then okay i'll save my additional thoughts for that but i'll just say i totally want one of those emergency uh, communication transmitters in my front room because those <laughs> things are awesome absolutely <laughs> i love yeah. that prop Okay, uh, Debbie, then let's go to your soup round pick. What do you got? Okay, so it's kind of funny because uh, I knew this episode was going to be on my list. And um, when I rewatched it this week, the my five words that I reheard put it definitely in the soup round because Mm. my five words are um, it's all that electromagnetic soup and Hashtag Galondon Core, where no good deed goes unpunished. And it's TNG Season 3, Episode 7, The Enemy. I love this episode with um, Jordy and the Romulan guy caught on Galondon Core. The guy is just 
you know, still turns the disruptor on Jordy even after he saves him and everything. I just love this entire episode, but them in the cave there and how Jordy kind of breaks through to him and they become allies instead of enemy and enemy. I just love this entire episode. Yeah, this is an inspired pick. I can't believe I didn't think of this one either. It's another, there are so many caves. (laughs) Incredible. (laughs) This one came to me immediately. My favorite, I mean, I I love everything about this episode with uh, the way they work together and just the whole sci-fi idea of the the neutrino, the true neutrino emissions or whatever it is that they have to spot through and then they have to fix the visor and how everything connects together. And I love the where Jordy makes the little spikes out of, uh, out of the, the water and the mud with, uh, with his phaser when he's climbing out of the. Oh, the it truly. Hole. And then climbs yeah. out of the first place where he fell in. Yeah, totally. exactly. Right. And then I've always loved the whole, not that it's in the cave, but Picard. And it seems there was another man from your one man ship. Yeah, another and, great moment. Um, yeah. Totally and, a great moment. And the production value on this episode, you just feel that the, I mean, it's so well done. You just feel like you're in the middle of it. Alex, what's your take on the enemy? This was on my secondary systems. Amazing pick. Uh, I'm again, I'm so glad that you picked it, Debbie. The opening shot of that episode with the, with the music and the kind of sense of, you know, uh, urgency and we've got to get out of here. And then Geordie gets into trouble and, you know, ends up uh, in dire straits. And then, I mean, what a perfect Star Trek story in terms of, you know, these two enemies having to find a way to work together in order to get out of a life threatening situation. Amazing confrontation between Picard and Tomalock at the end of the episode. Love I it. Love Tomalock. And then, and, and then the B plot too, with the whole thing with Worf and mm-hmm. won't do the transfusion and everything. It just, I think this episode's so powerful. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up because that was one of those game changer moments for me watching this episode. And and this is before like anti heroes and kind of more of the dark TV. And, and that moment when. Worf. I mean, just watching the episode, I just kept assuming, okay, well, he's going to break down. He's going to cave. He's going yeah, right. he's, he's to cave. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, that, and that was 1990 when we're watching this, 1991. Mm-hmm. That's what you expected on TV in that time. And when he didn't do it, I was like, they actually went there and yep. just let him let that guy die. That That's amazing. That, that was really, really bold. And, and again, it's easy to kind of place it in today's TV context and forget about that. But back then that was a amazing uh, production choice. Well, that's what makes Star Trek with like such deep, rich characters, you know, like it's, it's it's the same thing. And Worf, especially in TNG got a lot of those moments. (laughs) Yep. All right. Well, let's close out the soup round with my pick and I am, it's a soup round. So I'm going to cheat a little bit. I basically picked two episodes because they're cave scenes are so awesome and so hilariously similar. So my five words in a hashtag, unique cave obstacles, same set, hashtag ice bores, electrical charges, and lerpas. And it is the episode Kirshara and the episode five <laughs> episodes later, the Anar. And you've got these two scenes, one on a desert planet, one on an ice planet. First up, you've got Kirshara and these amazing scenes with Archer, to Paul and to Pow 
hiking through the caves and they've got to get the Kirshara to safety and they come across all sorts of great adventure. But I love this moment where they, the, they're walking through and T'Pau warns, not don't walk there. There's like electrical discharges of, of gallocyte deposits that are going to, going to uh, spark you. And so later they use that to uh, electrocute some Vulcans chasing them with their Lurpas. And I love the end of that scene because they basically escape through a cave Jeffrey's tube. They just jump down that hole and oh, and they slide s- down the thing. It's like a Jeffrey's tube in a cave. I love it. And they get away. And then five episodes later, you've got Archer, Shran, and the Anar woman, uh, Jamel. And they're trying to make their way through the ice caves of the northern wastelands of Andoria to get uh, back to the surface to return to Enterprise. And they come across, Jamal stops them just the exact same way that, that Tapao stops them. And they come across these ice boars swarming through their way through the ice. And they have to kind of wait until they pass through because they have this chemical reaction as they move through the ice and they can burn you if you uh, get caught in the middle. And that was just an awesome idea, really clever sci-fi conceit. But I just find it hilarious from the moment these two scenes aired that they're so similar they they feel like the exact same idea with just hey one's in the desert with electrical discharges one's in the snow and there's like ice borers coming through <laughs> so and this set's painted white so that's my pick I've got uh, Kirshara and the Anar from Enterprise uh, Alex what's your take on those <laughs> what a bonkers pick I absolutely love it <laughs> um, and you're a hundred percent right I mean you know it's it is so funny that yes it's like you know the sort of typical, how do we up the drama value of being on the planet hell, you know, set and going through these caves. So there's got to be some kind of natural obstacle that we have to get our way around and learn something from in the process, you know, have a nice little character moment along the way. And that's absolutely what these scenes are. Exactly. Debbie, you remember these from Enterprise? Uh, wow, absolutely. Kirshara was one of my road trips. On the, oh, I that's know. right. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I did love that. You know, I'm, so, I, I am, uh, I'm team Vulcan forever. So yeah, me too. Love that. And, and especially when you were talking the, about the little, the cave Jeffrey's tube, the, they went <laughs> yes. whipping down that. It, it struck me that that's exactly what that was. So. <laughs> Uh, and I love the ice boars. They're just, they're just, that's a really cool little effect. And I think that was uh, Andre Bormanis' script. So, uh, okay, let's, uh, at the end of Soup Round, let's go to round two. Alex, what's your number two pick? Okay, five word summary. I offer you the chance, hashtag, to touch what he shared with me. This is Star Trek The Next Generation, Season 5, Episode 8, Unification Part 2, and the final scene of the episode in which Spock mind melds with Captain Picard. Um, I told you we were going to get into the Star Trek Picard hype section of the episode, and for me, that's where we are right now. Uh, I Partially, I picked this because I'm so excited for Picard and because of the Romulan crossover and having Picard. Um, but for this scene itself, I mean, you know, this sort of, this closes the circle on the Spock-Sarek relationship uh, until we get to Discovery. This is sort of the last word on that relationship between the two characters. And it's really well done um, in terms of, 
in terms of getting some closure for what was clearly a very difficult relationship over the course of the life of both men, also acknowledging the role that Picard himself had in Sarek's life from the season three episode Sarek. And it's also a really hopeful place to end the episode, not just, you know, for the character dynamics and because this is, you know, the end of Leonard Nimoy's episodes of The Next Generation, but also because it, you know, it's sort of, everything did not go well for the Romulan Vulcan reunification movement in this episode, right? I mean, it kind of ends on, you know, up till that point, it's kind of a huge downer because they thought that they were at the brink of making this big political breakthrough. And it turns out it was all a ploy from Sela and the proconsul to try and conquer Vulcan. So, you know, on one hand, they're coming off of the back of a big defeat. But on the other hand, there's this recognition that, the that some of the sort of concepts of reunification between the two races are actually potentially buried into the Romulan psyche a little deeper than everybody uh, expected they were. And also, frankly, it's a recognition that hard things require hard work and, and dedication. And Spock's decision to remain on Romulus is one that, you know, I, I think based on the trailers for Star Trek Picard is something that we will probably see pay itself off over the long run, given, you know, the kind of Romulans that we have been introduced to in the trailers up to this point. I figured this pick would be on somebody's list. It's on my secondary systems. I love, I love all these scenes and love, uh, love that this place in the cave. This for me is like classic Trek tropes. Like what? Okay. We're going to do these scenes. A, ca- a cave? We should do them in a cave. Cheap. <laughs> um, but yeah, these are, I mean, the fi- I love that you picked the ending, the very final moment, because it, it is very hopeful. That's a great way to describe it. So, uh, I mean, one of the biggest episodes of TNG, and I was wondering how you're going to tie it into the Picard series, and you're so right. The end of that is... I mean, he stays on Romulus, and that's where we're going to pick up the Picard series is the after effect of, of what happened to the Romulus. I love it. Great pick. Uh, Debbie, what's your take on unification? Oh, I, I can't believe I didn't even think of it. I love unification. And that closing moment, just the, oh, the look on Spock's face is, is just the, the slight smile if the camera was there any longer, you would have, I think you would have seen the tear fall out of his eye. You know, it just, it was, it was so moving and beautiful that I just, it was, that's a great pick, Alex. I love it. I love that scene. And it was just such a beautiful way to close out that episode. I love it. And we, we cannot talk about unification without saying Pardek. How do you know Pardek? <laughs> Love that moment. Okay, let's go. Debbie, what's your number two pick? Uh, where am I? Number two. Oh, five words. The portrait of Ducat's madness. Hashtag stupid wrinkled little noses. And it is DS9 season six, episode 11, Waltz. Uh, the hardest part was picking out the scene in the cave in Waltz. And yeah. I had I rewatched it this week and and I just I it was actually I was wrestling with another episode for this to be like on my list and I ended up 
pulling another one off. And because when I rewatched Waltz, I was like, there's no way I can't, I cannot include this. And then, you know, I love the whole intrigue of like when Cisco is trying to, you know, he's figuring out about the transmitter and just even some of the scenes with Ducat and, you know, when Wayun shows up and at first we, before you, when you finally realize that that's a hallucination, but then when, like Alex said, that scene where he just goes on his complete rant about the Bajorans and everything. And that scene kind of wipes out the rest of them. It's amazing. Yeah, it really is. And I was going to, uh, my comments, I was going to make when Alex picked it too. It's, this is a, this is, a perfect uh, duplicate to have on on this topic. I I love the structure of this episode because when he keeps going, first time he does it, you know, the couple, first couple of times you're like, "What is going on with yep. the side conversation?" Then you quickly pick up on it. So super cool way to have all those actors and characters involved and uh, tell this story. And then my favorite thing about this episode is Cisco's savvy the way he's playing Ducat throughout this. And I really, really like that. It showed a, a side of Cisco that, that, that I really like that. He's got the street smarts just to be able to take a step back, slow down and say, okay, I'm just going to play this guy and uh, manipulate him uh, by, by letting him think that he's getting, getting somewhere. And that is why you are not an evil <laughs> man. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I find this perfect. episode for me, like I don't watch it, rewatch it all that often because it's hard to watch. Like oh, yeah. some of the watch. physical violence is really yeah. brutal with the, you're imagining him with that broken arm and, and Ducat's just beating the daylights out of him anyway. I, I find it hard. It's, it's kind of emotionally very hard to rewatch. So it's not one that I've, I'm sticking in every on a regular basis, but it is that I did rewatch it when I was for the list. And I, that's where I said, I can't not have this on my list. They all wore their pride, like some twisted badge of honor. And you hated them for it. Of course I hated them. I hated everything about him. Their superstitions. And their cries for sympathy, their treachery and their lies. Their smug superiority and their stiff-necked obstinacy. Their earrings and their broken, wrinkled noses. You should have killed them all. Hmm? Yes. Yes. That's right, isn't it? I knew it. I've always known it. I should have killed every last one of them. I should have turned their planet into a graveyard the likes of which the galaxy had never seen. I should have killed them all. And that is why you're not an evil man. Yeah, it's right. It's I think it's like in the 70s or 70s or 80s for me at Trek ranks. It's a incredible episode which is actually pretty high for one that's very hard to watch because there's so many great deep space nine episodes to say the least okay let's close out round two with my pick five words and a hashtag 
from the cloud to the caves, hashtag dig high advisor, dig. <laughs> and my episode is the cloud minders from TOS season three, episode 19. I, I love this episode. I find it to be super underrated. And I picked this scene where Kirk and Vana and the high advisor uh, are locked into a cave where they're uh, fighting. They're, they're digging for Xenite and they're, fighting the invisible Xenite gas and Kirk starting to get affected and he's losing his cool and he's yelling at the, the high advisor from the cloud city who refuses to, he's just a pompous ass says refuses to acknowledge anybody or anything that's what they're trying to tell him in terms of this uh, effect that the Xenite's having on the, the trog, trog lights and Vana's there. And I, I just love that moment. I just think it's a really smart, a smart script which is from David Gerald, by the way, who wrote uh, Tribbles. Um, it's just a really smart story, this one. It's, it's one of these great social commentaries about the haves and the have-nots and the fact that these people are living in, in the, the highest state and not taking, just completely taking for granted the work that uh, everyone's doing to provide them that, that lifestyle, denying it to them by just saying, well, they wouldn't know what to do with it. They're, just, they're not smart enough. And... I and I in the scenes in the cave, I just they're super cool, and they I love that they call they actually call them troglites. So it's just like, it's like that's pretty on the nose. <laughs> yeah, one of my one of my favorites, uh, and I love this. I've picked it before on on Trek ranks. Uh, Alex, what's your take on the Cloudminders? I mean, talk about some of Star Trek social messages being timeless, right? I mean, yeah. you know, income inequality was a problem in the 1960s, but it is a whole hell of a lot worse today. Yep. And the sort of message of the episode lands, you know, much more strongly in 2019 than it did in 1968. And so, yeah, what a fabulous pick. Yep. Yeah, it's crazy how timeless it is. Uh, Debbie, how about you? I know you're a big TOS fan. Oh, yeah. Great point, Alex, like about the one percenters. I think that that it really does. That's always amazing about TOS that a lot of times it it comes back to be even more meaningful now than it was at the beginning. And I feel like Cloudminders is a lot of times a kind of an overlooked episode. You know, some of season three is that way, but it is an outstanding episode. And with him, with Kirk kind of going a little bit mad himself, but yeah. making his point down in the cave is fantastic. Yeah, I love when Kirk's losing it. When Spock checks in, right, we're checking in uh, as you asked us to do. I told you to stand by. <laughs> I just love this episode. It's really good. And and it is overlooked. It's season th- late season three stuff that uh, like, it's like one of the last six or seven episodes of, of TOS. Okay. Let's go to round one. I am really curious. There are some big, big, big cave scenes, not yet picked. So we're going to see what, what, what everyone has in store for us. Alex, let's start with you. What's your number one pick? It's Defiant Torpedoes time. Five word summary. How did you find me? Hashtag I am Spock. It is Star Trek 2009. I forgot that that was still on the table. (laughs) So we've said a lot about it, um, but this is Leonard Nimoy's first scene in the movie, which in and of itself, you know, instantly catapults it, you know, up the ladder. Uh, this is the first time that Leonard Nimoy played Spock since that final scene in Unification, which would have been 1991. Uh, so 2000, so, you know, 17, 18 years later. 
James T. Kirk. Excuse me? How did you find me? How did you know my name? I have been and always shall be your friend. Uh, look, uh, I, I don't know you. I am Spock. Bullshit. Um, and the other thing about this uh, that we've not talked about yet is, you know, this is the scene where for the Star Trek fans like us who can name their top five scenes in a cave, <laughs> that sort of really folded this movie into... Mm-hmm the continuity in the canon and the, and, and the Star Trek that, that we knew, right? I mean, the movie opens and events start to play out differently than we were aware of. Kirk is born in outer space, not in Iowa. And then, you know, the, the, the differences start to kind of mount up from there. And this is a scene in the movie where you sort of get the explanation for, you know, what has happened. And you get this really sort of tantalizing hint and some very small details about, you know, there's this major cataclysmic event that takes place in the late 24th century beyond the point of Nemesis, which was the last time, you know, we left the 24th century. And it's totally shaken up. You know, the Romulus has been destroyed. It's it, This will shake up the galaxy uh, in, in an, a considerable way. And, you know, from 2009 for the last decade, uh, that's been all we've known about, you know, what happened in the late 24th century. And in, in about 89 days, uh, we will uh, get much more information about what the 24th century looks like after the destruction of Romulus. Well, I love the connection of these top two picks. It's so great. And it, and the, I, I always laugh because the, the first time I saw 2009 when it ended, I was walking. I kept waiting for like the reset button on on Vulcan, and then you realize, oh man, they really in this timeline, they, they Vulcan's gone. That's amazing. That was like my takeaway. I was like hard to cope with that. And then after I watched it the second time, it was holy crap, Romulus is gone <laughs> in the in the prime timeline. I didn't even didn't even make that connection until the second time I watched it. So. Uh, yeah, this scene in a cave, Kirk and Spock, so many layers. And I love the connection for uh, the Picard series because it, it's going to be a big part of it. Uh, Debbie, any uh, further comments on this one? I, I just like that it's not the part in the cave, but I just like that um, the tie back back to where no man has gone before, isn't it? That Yes. The same uh, Delta Vega. Delta Vega. I yeah. couldn't think of it where that's where they get stranded. I just love little things like that. Um, excellent yeah. pick. Glad I picked it also. Oh, uh, it's a, a rare triplicate here on Trek range. We had one just a few episodes ago. Oh yeah. It was the Tapol episode. So, okay. Let's go to uh, Debbie. What's your number one pick scenes in a cave. Okay. Um, my five words. Isn't the Starfleet, you know, um, hashtag Danger Will Robinson, and it's DS9, um, Season 7, Episode 8, The Siege of AR-558. Oh, cool pick. So good. Yeah, I just, I think, and then I kind of had a hard time narrowing down to which part in a cave, because Ugh. I really loved, 
I love the interaction between Esri and Will Mummy. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, just the stuff at, at the end when Nog was injured and everything. But I think a lot of it was that, like, Quark just before all the stuff really went down and he was you know just telling nog you know like your humans are great as long as their bellies are full and they're you know and they've got the, their creature comforts but when take that away and they turn into savages and it just him pointing out the the one guy with the ketracel white tubes around his neck and quark really um is very very truthful in this episode and in that scene and it's it's really powerful and a lot of his words are very very true so i think that's my moment that i really love let me tell you something about humans nephew they're a wonderful friendly people as long as their bellies are full and their horror suites are working but take away their creature comforts Deprive them of food, sleep, sonic showers. Put their lives in jeopardy over an extended period of time. And those same friendly, intelligent, wonderful people will become as nasty and as violent as the most bloodthirsty Klingon. You don't believe me? Look at those faces. Look in their eyes. You know I'm right, don't you? Well, aren't you going to say something? I feel sorry for the Jemadar. I love your five words and hashtag. It took me a while to uh, to connect it in my head. Oh yeah, Will <laughs> Mummy and those scenes with Ezri and the Danger Will Robinson, yeah, and the and the, and the Houdinis. I. I, this is an inspired pick. It was on my secondary systems, but I didn't pick it. It's, so, I mean, it's such a massive Star Trek episode, and it all takes place in a cave, basically. Well, the, the cave cave front, some of it, but uh, but yeah, I love I love those scenes with Dax and and Will Robinson, and of course the Quark scenes, and of course the Nog stuff, which uh, is, we just did our our Nog episode as well, and. Uh, yeah, really. This is this is a fantastic deep cut number one selection. I love it, Alex. What's your take on this incredible episode? Incredible pick. Quark has the Federation dead to rights. I mean, yeah. he is so good at stripping away the pretense around the Federation's high, lofty ideals of itself. And very interestingly, there are three scenes in my mind that always stick out where Quark does this, and two of them take place in a cave. The other one being when they are captured oh, yeah. in the Jem'Hadar, and yeah. they're in that force field, and it's in a cave, and you know Quark interrogates Cisco on him not liking Ferengi, and actually, you know, being he basically says you're a racist, and, and he's actually kind of right about it. Um, so uh, it seems like Quark does his best thinking when he's on planet hell. <laughs> Absolutely. There are a lot of scenes in caves in Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> That's another great one. The Siege of AR558. Awesome pick, uh, Debbie. Great job. All right, let's go to my round one pick. It is a Trek classic. Five words and a hashtag. 
the chamber of the ages hashtag vault of tomorrow it's tos season one episode 26 the devil in the dark i am so glad you picked this yeah it's my all-time favorite episode of star trek and it's the scene where they meet the horda and by meet the horda i mean kirk spock and mccoy this episode it has everything well this scene i should say has everything in it you've got the Kirk and Spock friendship right there. When Spock just says, kill it, Captain, protect yourself. I mean, that is a such a huge, just shows you everything you need to know about how Spock thinks about Kirk in that moment when Spock is the guy who's going to try to protect science and make sure we understand. But if Kirk's in trouble, then kill it. You must protect yourself. Then you've got the Vulcan mind meld. You've got, uh, I mean, th- that scene, uh, don't even need to talk about it. It's just so powerful with the no kill eye and the communication with the Horda and telling its story. And McCoy beams down. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. <laughs> You've got the confident, defiant Kirk. Just I love when he's just kind of like, yeah, he's standing. It's 10 feet in front of me. I'm good. And he's, and he's really quickly picking up like, all right, this creature's communicating with me in a way that it's not, threatening me unless i threaten it and we're having a, a moment you know i it's there's so much emotion there's so much it's such a smart scene and i say this all the time and i'm gonna do it again here on trek ranks the horda costume is not cheesy it's not hokey it's not campy i will never understand this opinion it's amazing it's the most original costume it totally stands the test of time it looks uh really believable scary it looks like an animal it's not you know just a person in makeup it's genius what they did with it that's uh the costume designer and creature actor i don't know how to say his name but janos prohaska and yeah i i love this episode it's always been one of my favorites and i believe horta are real and shout out to schmitter we love you schmitter okay <laughs> debbie what's your take on the devil in the dark <laughs> jim this is my episode that like at the last minute got pushed off my list so right. i am so glad you put it on there like literally um Sh- schmitter burned to a crisp burned to a crisp <laughs> Talks about him as burned to a crisp at least twice. <laughs> um, everything that I was going to say, you said the mind meld scene, because first it's almost like, you know, it's first the non-contact. Right. And then he really goes in for the thing. And the, yeah. and it was probably one of the longest mind melds that I can remember. Yeah. Uh, and then and then in addition, in that very same scene, then that's when McCoy's coming down being not a not a bricklayer and. And this, isn't this the one where he also says, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, it just, it, it's so classic Trek everywhere. I love this episode. I, I'm glad you said that about the non-contact, because that's another smart part of the script, because they had that little bit of moment non-contact, and then right away the horde is like, okay, I can communicate with these guys. And that's when he goes. And then that's burns, when he goes full on, yeah. Well, that's when he goes, burns the no-kill eye into the rock and says, no, you know, and then again, when you're 10 years old and you're watching, it's like, no kill. I, is he not going to kill them or is he pleading for them not to kill him? I don't know. Exactly. But, but he's messaging them and then they'd have the full, uh, the full mind melt. Uh, Alex, what's your take on the devil in the dark? I mean, how can you beat 
a a number one pick describing your favorite episode of Star Trek of all time. Jim, there's no way I could put anything better than what you said already. It's a fabulous episode. It's a fabulous choice. I uh, like the way you frame that. It's, it's kind of a cool thing when it's your favorite all-time episode. And uh, and it's my number one for this topic. I actually, you know, I actually looked for ways to not pick it because it was a little bit obvious, but uh, could not keep it off my list. Okay, I am excited to talk about some secondary systems picks. God. Let's just rattle them off. Uh, Alex, start, start, uh, start rattling. Okay, so I had one big cheat that I was, I was committed to having on my list and ultimately decided to cut, which is uh, the last few scenes in the Pegasus where the Enterprise is inside the asteroid. I love inside that. inside a giant love cave. It. You know who would have picked that? Ken Riley would have picked that. A hundred percent he would have yes, picked that. That would have so. been his, uh, from Trek Core. He always comes up with these really twisted ways to look at it. He would have picked that for sure. So this one goes out to Ken Riley. Uh, the the Dax Koloth fight in Blood Oath, where Kang and Kor are like onlookers. Oh it's yeah! The first time you get to see those characters be badass Klingons, more than just kind of I will say I, each other. I did think of a lot of Dax warp scenes, but they're all on holodeck, so I eliminated them. But that's, yep. that's great. Uh, Odo and the Kira Changeling in Heart of Stone. You know their whole plot of that episode takes place yeah. in a cave yeah. mm-hmm. uh the the kira odo garrick all of the scenes with the cardassian resistance from the last sort of four or five episodes of deep space oh, yeah. nine there are That's lots wrong. you can pick from that you know that like so odo concealing the fact that he's sick um and just, kira I saying just, i know that he's ill i, I was gonna say i You've already rattled off like five or six. None of these are on my list. And I have, and I <laughs> and have like no 20. kidding. None of I them are like, on my <laughs> list either. So I got two more. Uh, uh, Odo and his uh, Cardassian contact who's shrouded in the dark in improbable cause. Yeah. Where he's kind of standing behind him. Yep. Um, and then lastly, can I cook or can't I? Thank you. Thank there it you. Is. That's, That's fine. <laughs> This is the one that obviously this is the Wrath of Khan and the, this is going to be the, I think this might be, I mean, that one really, some one of us should have picked that one. That's a massive, massive scene. This will be close to the data episode where nobody picked Measure of a Man. This will be the, the cave episode where nobody picked the Genesis cave. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, and, it was, and it was one of the first ones I thought of. Me and too, I was yeah. like, well, how can I not? Because Wrath of Khan's my favorite film. Yeah. And then as, as they just started falling out, like more and more caves, yeah. I was like, oh, somebody will pick Wrath of Khan. <laughs> I know. I kept thinking one of you would have it. But, uh, but yeah, it fell off my list, too. So, no, but we'll... Shout out to the Genesis Cave right now. Absolutely. And, uh, oh, and I've got Marcus. one more. Yeah, okay, uh, one more. Which is uh, Picard and Anij in, in, speaking of Team Vash, yes. Picard and Anij in Insurrection after the cave. Uh, I love uh, that moment. I That's am Team great. Anij. That is, I, I, I'm also Team Anij. I love her. Uh, okay, that's a great pick too. I didn't think of that one. All right, uh, Debbie, how about you? Rattle off a few here. Okay, um, I had from TNG. I had Arsenal of Freedom. The when mm-hmm. when they fell down in that oh, thing, it was one. like the, 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 I have. What, what is that, with you and people falling into holes? I, yeah, the, I know. Seriously, <laughs> um, the special Arsenal of Freedom for me was my tipping point with season one of Trek. I 
specifically remember what, you know, like that first season kind of started off rough and Arsenal of Freedom was the first episode that I truly remember going, okay, this show is going to be good. Like, and then when Symbiosis was the next week, I was, I knew TNG had arrived. So I do love that scene, Arsenal of Freedom. Um, I got, let's see, there's Wrath of Khan, obviously. Um, I'm, I'm surprised the, the, all our yesterdays in the cave with Zarabeth. Yay. That's uh, on my second. I had a tough time cutting that one off. That was a tough cut. That was a tough, um, rocks and shoals. I don't like that when Spock says to, to McCoy. I don't think I ever did when he calls him a half. Yep. Love it. Sorry. Um, Rocks and Shoals I have on there. I also have. um, Oh, that's a good one. Some of the scenes, the scenes with O'Brien and Hard Time when he's in the prison. There's some huge stuff in there. I had a hard time cutting that one. Future Imperfect, the very end when Barash, they're in kind of a cave. I am Barash. Yep. You'll <laughs> he always just be jumping. a friend. Yep, I know. Friend. <laughs> I, um, I also have some scenes from um The High Ground. Is that the one that's uh Oh yeah, The High Ground's a great one. I I mean I love the high ground. It's uh well I talk about it all the time, but those are yeah, they're in a cave, of course. Yep. And my last one I have is the the closing scene of um, Time's Arrow Part 2. I love yes. when Mark Twain puts the pocket watch back and taps yep. it so he's he knows he's setting everything into motion again. That's oh, awesome. Yeah. I, had I, the, I had, think of Time's Arrow. I had secondary systems, Time's Arrow, but I had the first scene where they find Data's head. So that's, Oh, okay. Uh, but I there's so like, many good ones with Picard and Guinan. I mean, that's, oh, that's, so, that's good. so many good ones. Yeah. I, a lot of people don't like Time's Arrow. I love <laughs> Oh, times arrow. I'm a so su- I, I'm a sucker, Mister Pickard. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to say that. Uh, I'm glad there's you did a street you- I drive on every week when I'm going grocery shopping, and there's this little tiny amount of houses, and it's literally called Pickard Estates. And every week I drive by that, and I go, Mister Pickard. It is one o'clock on a Tuesday. <laughs> Oh, that these lists are amazing. I literally only have a few of these on my list the ones that you guys rattled off. So, so there you go. Those are my secondary okay, systems. I'm going to rattle off another 20 or so. My toughest cuts, I usually have one. I have three here. Well, I'm not including unification. That was one of my toughest cuts. I had what are little girls made of? I love the bottomless pit and all the scenes with Ruck and Kirk mm-hmm. uh, when – when he's imitating Christine Chapel, I had a uh, blood fever. I love all the scenes when they're trying to collect gallocyte deposits, by the way, gallocytes that was in uh, Kirshara. That's what causes electrical yep. reactions. I love, I actually really love blood fever. Memorial is one that I really thought I was going to oh, pick. Yeah. Cause I love the scene with Kim when he's climbing through that cave. It's really claustrophobic. And, and when he's, gets to it and then he remembers shooting those people and it's really that's a that's a hard scene to watch um and of course wrath of Khan was one of my toughest cuts i had all our yesterdays uh gamesters of triscalian because the providers are in a cave when they're watching all the making all their gambling uh private little war because i love this one of my favorite stories when i was a kid watching uh 
the Kanutsu woman heel Kirk with her orgasmic kind of gyrations <laughs> over him and my mom walking in when I was eight years old. What are you watching? <laughs> That's one of my favorite memories. Uh, Friday's Child, only Makoi. I love uh, all the scenes in a cave in Friday's Child, Times Arrow. Final Mission, Wesley and Picard. Yep. There's some great stuff there between them. Had uh, that. Uh, indiscretion, Ducat sitting on his spike. I love that moment yes. when he. And the 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 kicker for me on that is when he he's laughing because the the, the dermal regenerator is not working, and she's like, "You didn't turn it on," and they're just laughing. That was a great moment. <laughs> uh, I had part tuition because I love Neelix and Tom together saving the little sentient uh, reptile. I had demon because I think those scenes in the cave are underrated. They're really kind of creepy when, when they realize that they've fallen in and they're coming out, but then their suits are, but they they can breathe. I I kind of dig all that. Uh, the breach because the whole thing is about caves and getting to the bottom of a cave to save a bunch of Denobulans. And yes. I had will you hold my hand because I love that moment. I am a big fan of will you hold my hand from Discovery, the end of season one. Will you take my hand? Oh, will, will you take my hand? Thank my you, hand. of course. Uh, with Laurel and Giorgio and Burnham face off in the bottom of the uh, the volcano slash cave. Uh, will you take my hand? Yes. And then my special shout out is to uh, State of Flux because they filmed it in an actual cave, the opening. I love when Seska's when uh, Chakotay goes to find Seska and there's a bunch of Kazon in there, and they filmed it in the Hollywood Hills in an actual cave. And I think that was uh, a great episode and a, and a great moment. Oh, I got one more. Okay, what, what do you got? Distant origin when when they return to the cave where Hogan was killed oh, in yes. Basics Part oh, 2. Basics, and you could have doubled that up, Basics and Distant Origin. That's uh, that's brilliant. Okay, and then my last episode shout-out, because we haven't mentioned it, and it's one of the most famous caves in all of Trek, the Fire Caves from What yes. We Left Behind. God. No way we can't talk about that. Yeah, amazing, amazing list. Uh, I'm going to write off a few more. Chain of Command, Sword of Kalis, Faces, oh, Bread and Circuses, chain- The Phage. Homeward, another one. I none of those were on my list, but I kind of thought about it. The so. chain of command is somewhere. I have this little scribbled paper, and I know yes. chain of command is on there too. Like, we're just gonna keep the marquee. Gonna, the marquee. We're just gonna keep naming cave episodes. This podcast is never gonna end. <laughs> the, they, they, it is <laughs> endless. There are, and I know everyone. Gambit is, part is, two. Gambit part two. Yes, I love that because they reference the uh, the awakening time. All right. Uh, I know everyone listening is rattling off even more cave episodes right now that we haven't even talked about because there are so many. It's a classic Trek trope. This was a fun topic. Let's get into our regeneration cycle now and rattle off a few stats, and then we'll uh, and we'll summarize our picks. Computer, activate regeneration cycle. Alcoves beta and gamma. Okay, Alex, let's hear your recap of your five picks. Okay, number five, Star Trek Enterprise, season one, episode six, The Andorian Incident. Number four, Star Trek Voyager, season five, episode three, Extreme Risk. Number three, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, season six, episode 11, Waltz. 
Number two, Star Trek The Next Generation, Season 5, Episode 8, Unification Part 2. And number one, Star Trek 2009. Uh, as promised, you had five incarnations of Trek, one from Enterprise, Voyager, Deep Space Nine, TNG, and the Kelvin Timeline inspired list. Debbie, rattle off your uh, top five. At number five, I had Star Trek Discovery, um, season two, episode eight, If Memory Serves. Number four was Star Trek 2009. At number three, it was Star Trek The Next Generation, season three, episode seven, The Enemy. At number two, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, season six, episode 11, Waltz. And at number one, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Season 7, Episode 8, The Siege of AR-558. I love that number one pick. So you had one each from Discovery, Kelvin Timeline, TNG, and then two from Deep Space Nine. Fantastic. My top five was, number five was Star Trek 2009, Kelvin Timeline. From The Next Generation Season 3, I had Captain's Holiday. For my number, my round three pick, I had a little bit of a cheat with Kirshara and the Anar from Enterprise Season 4. From my round two pick from TOS Season 3, The Cloudminders. And my number one pick from Season 1 of TOS, The Devil in the Dark. So I had one each from the Kelvin Timeline, TNG, and Enterprise, and two from TOS. So just quick stats. I don't have a lot here, but we'll, we had one duplicate and one triplicate. So that is awesome. And here's the breakdown on all the uh, series. So every incarnation of Trek was represented in our 15 picks when I love when that happens. One each from Discovery and Voyager, two from TOS and Enterprise and then leading the way, TNG, Deep Space Nine, and the Kelvin Timeline all had three picks. So pretty great to spread it around with such an awesome Trek topic. All right. As we do every week, we've once again entered a temporal causality loop. So before we can depart, it's time to hear from you. Enterprise has been caught up in a temporal causality loop. And I suspect that something similar may have happened to you. And for this week's Temporal Causality Loop, we're going to go all the way back to episode 65 and our top five villains who weren't really villains. One of our favorite topics in recent uh, times here. Really got a lot of great feedback and discussion from, from that controversial topic. First up, a great all TNG list from Trek Dad Dave, who is at Trek Dad Dave on Twitter. His number five was the Schisms Aliens, hashtag click, 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 click. His number four was John Doe from Transfigurations, hashtag ascending to a higher plane. His number three, I love this pick, was the Shellyak. And his hashtag was advance and speak. That's a pretty good villain, not a villain. Because they were just, hey, we have a contract. We're, we're going to take over. 
He had Nagilam. That's a controversial pick. Hashtag only kill half the crew. <laughs> and his number one, and I, I don't think I can agree with this one because I do not like this guy from the neutral zone TNG, Ralph Offenhouse. No. <laughs> what cruise line is this? Hilarious <laughs> list. So good. All right, and then we had a but great... But he wasn't really a villain. I mean, well, he, was he was annoying, <laughs> but he was, he was not a villain, though. That's yeah, fair enough. But uh, All right, the, I, we have an all-captains list, which is really genius, from Ben Nicholson at Ben Curtinow. I, I love this because it's literally five uh, Trek famous captains, villains, not villains. Five words and a hashtag. Broccoli coward prime directive breaker. Hashtag shut up, Wesley. It's Captain Picard. His number four, he knows she must die. Hashtag Edith must die. It's Kirk. Oh, that one breaks my heart. His number three, five words and a hashtag. Poisoner and accessory to murder. Hashtag for the revenge. Oh, that's, that's a, a good, good one. Hashtag Cisco. His number two was Stranded Ship in the Expanse. Hashtag Vulcan Hater. It's Archer. This is a this is amazing. <laughs> and his number one will only save certain people. Hashtag time traveling menace. It is Captain Catherine Janeway. Ooh. That's an inspired <laughs> so such a funny <laughs> list to think of those guys as villains, not really villains. Amazing. I thought Jellico was going to end up on that list. No, he went. No, he went for the big dogs, the five big dogs. All right, and finally, just some more pure brilliance from our buddy Ross Webster, the Borg at Star Trek seventeen oh one. Here's his five words and a hashtag: Riker recollects regrettable Romulan reality. Hashtag neural scanner darkly. It's Barash. <laughs> he just wanted a friend. I am Barash. <laughs> I love Barrage. Um, number four, getting the band humped back together. It, hashtag iPod. It's the whale probe from Voyage Home. Number three, Seven's colleagues change their minds. Hashtag one third of nine. It's Lancer, Pachan, and Marika from Survival Instinct from Voyager. Number two, <laughs> uh, Mushroom Monsters Murdered Medic Manifestation. Hashtag Josep misstep and it's the mycelial network Colber. This these five words and a hashtag. Oh, so that's an and, awesome one. Rewind and listen to them again because they are brilliant. Uh, uh, yeah, that is a that's another great villain, not a villain. And then number one, I love this. Careful what you wish for. Hashtag amusement park, and it's the Shore Leave Planet from TOS Shore Leave. So fantastic list. There. I'm going to have one more real quick from Rebecca Lockley. Hashtag Anna on the moon. We talked about this already a lot in this episode. Her five villains are Vash, Neela, Kamala, Anish, and Odon. <laughs> so there's one, uh, one person missing from that list. So I think we know that uh, Rebecca Lockley is team Beverly for her villains and out of villains. Uh, so many great lists. All right, once again, enough to get us out of this week's temporal causality loop. So as always, I want to thank everyone for all your great responses to Trek Ranks. Please keep your list coming to me at Trek Ranks on Twitter so we can retweet them. But we also want to hear from you. So put together your own list of top five scenes in a cave or any list from our past shows and give us a call at the Tricorder Transmissions at 609 512 
L-L-A-P. I did that wrong. 609-512-5527. You know the number. We've done it enough times. Anyway, we're moving on. Send us a voicemail. Come on. So hopefully we'll hear from you so you can be featured on the next episode of Track Ranks. And on the next episode of Track Ranks, we're going to get deep, deep into some Trek lore. So this is the first time that I'm going to ask a question where I think I might not get an answer from you guys because this is one that you need to think about. And I've been thinking about this one for a long time. It's a super, super deep cut topic. We're doing our top five in-episode meta Trek references. So by that, we mean these sly little winks by the writers and producers and the actors inside a Star Trek episode where they give us something. I'm going to give you the the most obvious example, which is not going to be on the table for our show. It is the incredible reference from Zeph from Cochran in First Contact when he says, and you people, you're all astronauts. On a Star Trek. Some kind of Star Star Trek. Trek. (laughs) That is a meta Trek reference. There are actually a bunch of them inside Star Trek. I've got a long list that I've been working on. So we've got a couple of our mad Trek geniuses that we're going to have on the show. One of them, Ross Webster, who I just read off his list from the Snap Trek podcast, and our buddy Bill Mann over at Trek Live. They're going to come up with their crazy meta Trek list for us. So Alex and Debbie, if you could think of one quick in-episode meta Trek reference, uh, what would pop into your head, Alex? You've rendered me speechless, Jim. (laughs) I I can't (laughs) wait to hear what Ross and Bill come up with. I'm Uh, sure as soon as we start recording, I'll think of a few, but I am blank right now. There are there are some good ones, uh, Debbie. We have. Oh, uh, I'm I'm kind of with Alex, although I feel like I've got something. I feel like I've got something on the tip of my tongue from Discovery. Oh, I think I've got one. Okay. In in Future's End, when they beam down to the LA Pier, and Tuvok says, "We could have worn our uniforms, and nobody would have noticed." <laughs> oh my God, that's, that's a great an awesome one. one! See, that's, <laughs> that's an what awesome we're talking one. about. I don't think that I don't think that's on my my list. I have about fifteen that I'm currently working with. So that is a great one. That's what we're talking about, people. It's this is going to be a really really fun uh, topic. This is going to be a good episode. Yeah, it's going to be a great deep cut uh, dive into some uh, some awesome Trek moments. So, all right, looking forward to that one. All right, Alex, Perry, Debbie, Maltasati, a huge thanks for coming on the show. As always, any uh, any final subspace communications you guys want to relay to to our listeners before we depart. The only thing better than listening to a track ranks is being on one. This is such a blast. Thanks a lot, Jim. Uh, I really appreciate the invite back and hope to see you again. Yes, for sure. We thank you so much for doing it. Alex, uh, thanks for coming on again, man. Strange New World. Strange New World, a title. Is another episode with Scenes in a Cave. I'm still oh, thinking of them. Oh, I thought it was. A, I thought that was a meta <laughs> Trek reference because it is kind of a meta Trek reference too. It's yes, quite, it is. It's not quite inside the episode, but but actually, they do they say you know no hey where no dog has gone before that is a meta trek reference. Oh, absolutely, it's yes, a meta that's trek a reference. that's a really good one. And there's a ton of scenes in caves. We got it all. Lots of uh, lots of trek tropes, and the meta trek reference is going to be making fun of trek tropes, maybe a little bit. Not making fun of. All right, we're rambling this episode. Let's let's finish it off. 
Thank you guys. You're awesome. And thanks everyone for engaging with us here on episode 70 of the Trek Ranks podcast. As always, I want to close by saying I'm looking forward to standing with you again here in this place where I belong. First man that fires is dead. That thing has killed 50 of my men. And you've killed thousands of her children. What? Those round silicon nodules that you've been collecting and destroying? They're her eggs. Tell them, Mr. Spock. There have been many generations of Horta on this planet. Every 50,000 years, the entire race dies, all but one, like this one. But the eggs live. She cares for them, protects them. And when they hatch, she is the mother to them, thousands of them. This creature here is the mother of her race. The Horta is intelligent, peaceful, mild. She had no objection to sharing this planet with you until you broke into her nursery and started destroying her eggs. Then she fought back in the only way she knew how, as any mother would fight when her children are in danger. Just want to remind everyone again that the entire Trek Ranks catalog is available for you to download and listen to at trekranks.com and on your podcast player of choice. Our episodes never get carbon data, so check out the topics you've missed and maybe just want to listen to again over at trekranks.com. And a reminder to check out our friends Five Year Mission at fiveyearmission.net. They're writing a song for every episode of Star Trek, and you won't believe how great their music is. They also have a podcast at the Trek Geeks Network, so seek them out. You won't regret it. If we fail, Vulcan will be consumed by them. That's why we have to get this thing to the capital. And I'm going to need all three of us to try and find... Archer, don't move. Galicite deposits. Are you in possession of anything metallic? Just this. Thanks for the warning. We should clear the dampening field soon. Wait. What is it? A swarm. I don't see anything. It'll take a few minutes for them to pass. and I love chasing ice boars. Once we followed a swarm for two hours, caught hundreds of them, 